Welcome to another episode of Dialed In, the podcast about customer service, automation, AI, contact centers, and everything in between. Uh, I'm the host of the show, Gadi Shamia. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Replicant, a company that automates customer service calls uh, at scale. Uh, and I have a really special guest uh, today. First of all, he's my first chain guest uh, in a podcast, uh, everyday podcast with Tiago Paiva, the CEO of um, uh, TalkDesk. I asked, who should we invite? And Tiago said, Jeff Sturman. You absolutely invite him. He knows about customer service. He had different perspective. So reach out. And uh, Jeff, thank you for uh, joining our show. Uh, and welcome. Gotti, th- thank you, man. It's great to be here. So tell me about your role. What, what, what do you do? So I work, I'm the Chief Digital Officer. I'm Senior Vice President and Chief Digital Officer at Memorial Healthcare System. Memorial is a safety net healthcare system in Southeast Florida. So we're sandwiched between Dade County, Miami, and the Palm Beaches. So we're the South Broward Hospital District formally. We're a government-based organization, six hospitals, including a freestanding children's hospital called uh, Joe DiMaggio Children's Hospital. Uh, we love that name, and we love Joe DiMaggio, and we love Yankees baseball as a result of that. Um, and uh, and it's a great community-based uh, healthcare system based on its uh, legacy and origin. Um, we have gone much more into academic um, and big, what I'll call graduate medical education uh, healthcare, and um, we are a force to be reckoned with in in Broward County and certainly in South Broward. We are the the main healthcare system in this area. Uh, but there's a lot of competition in Florida. And so I'm sure we'll talk more about that and how that influences customer service. But um, I've been here for five years. It's my my second tour of duty, if you will. Um, so I have a long history at Memorial. So I, I, in some respects, have been here for 20 years. So I was here for 10 years. I left for six years. I was a consultant, which took me back to my original roots in healthcare consulting. So I'm a bit what you would call schizophrenic. And I haven't decided if I want to be a consultant or work in the provider-based healthcare world. I love both. They're very, very different. Um, but I like to say I'm a healthcare guy through and through and uh, trying to influence uh, experience and engagement at a, at a new level. Yeah, so and I'm really excited to speak with someone from this industry. We we actually have several healthcare customers and I always find um, the needs very different. So my first question to you is, I think when an American think of healthcare, usually the first thing that comes to mind is not great customer service maybe not even decent customer service. Uh, why is that? You know, I think the history of healthcare, especially provider-based healthcare, hospital-based healthcare, is that we expected as hospitals that patients would just come to us. So patients equals consumers in healthcare. And this is a big debate and something that I think has been evolving uh, for the last few years. I'm very much more used to saying consumer as opposed to a lot of my colleagues still refer to every time a patient has, or an individual has an interaction with our industry, they call those patients. Um, and, I'll, and I'll talk more about that. But I think the history has been, again, that we expected people, therefore patients, to always come to us. And thinking about the paradigm of needing to deliver services like you deliver a product and you need to get out to your consumer, we haven't really thought that way. That's a very culturally different way of thinking. You're going to come to a healthcare provider. You're going to come to a physician office. You're going to come to a hospital because you need care, because you need either emergent care, because you need acute care in the hospital, because you need to come in for a checkup. Hopefully, you're proactive and doing wellness checks, but a lot of people don't do that. 
So I think culturally, this has been a big shift for our industry to think about delivering care and thinking about proactive care in a new way. It's again, not the same industry as so many other industries, which are really very well positioned to get out to their consumers. Um, and I think we need to get that shift up to us as well. So we need to start thinking about delivering care in a, in a new way. And do you think that customer service can improve health outcomes? Of course, I, I can see how it can improve um, revenue for for a uh, uh, for medical group. People can come back more often, et cetera, choose this this uh, uh, hospital system instead of an, another. But do you feel that, health, that customer service can also improve the outcome for a patient? A hundred percent, and I love the question. Um, you know, if we are all taking more proactive stance and learning our own capabilities about how we need to take care of ourselves, and therefore the healthcare providers are actually teaching us that information, therefore impacting customer service, impacting care, impacting education, that's going to impact the ability for us to get better care and take care of ourselves. So I think there's an element that customer service will make this environment that's so hard to navigate. So I, I always say that healthcare is probably the most complex industry. Um, you couple that with technology in the place that I live on digital side with healthcare, you're combining two of the most complex pieces of industry together, which makes the experience so complex. So if I think if we can remove a lot of that friction, you're going to ultimately improve outcomes. How how uh, how do you make healthcare more accessible to people? I, I think there's one one part of it was customer service. You tend to be more reactive. Um, how do you think of making healthcare more accessible to um, to patient? Because absolutely, accessibility will improve outcomes if it's easier to get to a doctor, if it's easier to get a test, uh, easier to kind of get advice in the first sign. Uh, you possibly will have better outcomes. So, what have you done specifically to to improve accessibility to your to your network? So I, I think, first of all, access is um, is maybe a silver bullet if we can figure out access. And I don't know that there is a silver bullet to really figure it out. So there's lots of things that we need to be doing uh, to influence access. Um, this is not a problem just at Memorial Healthcare System. This is a national and maybe even probably international problem, a global problem about how you get access uh, to our patients, to our consumers, to the right time, at the right place, with the right provider. It's a very complex world that we live in for healthcare. Um, the way we can influence it is, is in a very multi-tiered approach. Um, it's not just building facilities, for example, and thinking that hospitals are the, the mecca of delivering access. It's not just providing providers in a particular area to provide access. It is those things, of course, but it's a lot more. So we've seen through in the last three, four years now, obviously with the pandemic, we've seen this huge advancement in using and leveraging digital capabilities. And I think digital has this untapped potential to create more access for our patients, for our consumers. I'll give you an example. Obviously, everyone knows what telehealth is today. Four or five years ago, almost no one knew what telehealth was. Um, so I think telehealth has the opportunity to continue to grow and expand primary care services. We probably can't read a newspaper today and not hear something about behavioral health issues. So there's a lot of opportunity to provide services to our consumers in a much more wide casting net. 
There's a lot of rural areas in the country, if not the world, that just have it hard to attract providers, hospitals, facilities to those areas, but you can still deliver access to those communities through digital means. There's lots of other ways that we can talk about expanding access and thinking about delivering care in a new way from remote patient monitoring and what we call hospital at home. So hospital at home, you know, this goes back to like the olden days, right? Where, where providers, uh, physicians would actually make hospital visits to a patient's home, deliver your child at home. Most of us as patients want to actually get care and we know it's a healthier environment to recover in your home environment. So if we can create mechanisms and methodologies by which we deliver care where a patient or consumer wants to get care, whether that be at their home, whether that be in a hospital, whether that be in a physician office, I think we have to go at this in, in a lot of different ways. And I'll give you one more example because I think it's really important. It's, it's kind of to the world that Tiago and TalkDesk and I live in together. We need to create what so many other industries have, have learned in taking advantage of omni-channel, multi-channel capabilities. So thinking that a patient's just going to always call us to make an appointment, I think is an old way of thinking. Of course, we're going to have call centers. Of course, we're going to have the ability for my dad, who probably doesn't know how to use a computer or use his cell phone or want to talk to a chat bot or a automated agent, um, is always going to have the option, at least at Memorial, to talk to a human being to get in to see a provider. However, my son, on the other hand, who doesn't know how to talk to a human being, doesn't want to talk to a human being, wants to text and wants to chat to automation, has that ability. So I think we have to create those multi-channel ways to uh, communicate with a wide and diverse um, population so that we create self-service capabilities. We create texting and chatting and voice and all of those mechanisms or ways in which we can interact with a patient or a consumer, I think is uh, uh, gonna be really, really important. And I'm so proud of what we've done at Memorial. And we're just we're just nipping at this right now. We're just getting to the tip of the iceberg. We're gonna, I think chatting and texting is gonna become probably more the norm than not. And we're not quite there yet. So what is maybe in the in the five years of your second tour of duty, the five years you've been here, uh, what is a one major change you made on the digital front that really make an impact on, on, on a patient or consumer, something that they could have not have done before, but now they can. And what would be magic wand, the next thing you would have liked to, to, uh, to do if there were no restrictions and, and no technical or organizational barriers to perform? So I'll, I'll maybe take that, that second part first. And that is, you know, I don't think the technology is a barrier. I think the technology is there. I think our tech environment is so rich in capability. Um, what I find to be more of a barrier is, again, probably culture. I mean, people just get in the way of technology people, right? <laughs> so so I get it. I, I am a people person first and a healthcare guy first, and I say that all the time. So I, I, I joke about it. But the reality is that process and the old way of doing things and change management, those are hard things to overcome. And I think that's culture because I really do think the technology is there and we can leverage it. There are so many vendors in this space that are trying to 
um, appeal to experience and engaging consumers in a new way. And again, leveraging that experience from other industries and candidly, and I'm, this is not a sales pitch for anyone, that's what I love about TalkTesk is that all of that knowledge, all of that history, all of that experience from other industries in applying that now to what I would call a rather immature industry from an experience and customer uh, standpoint is healthcare. Um, go back to your first, first part of your question, Gadi, and repeat it if you don't mind. Yeah, well, what is the what is the major difference of the patient or yeah. uh, experience today that they haven't experienced say five years ago? Yeah, so I mean, I, I alluded to this. I actually mentioned it just a moment ago, but you know, five years ago, thinking about that a patient could interact with us in a different in different ways in different channels was almost unheard of, and frankly, not heard of. Yes, we had one way texting capabilities to remind patients about an appointment. But having the ability to actually communicate with us two ways and text with us or talk, so to speak, with a chat bot to confirm their appointment, to reschedule their appointment, to cancel their appointment, those were not, those were, those were glimmers in our eye at the point at that point. And again, the technology, not that hard, not that difficult to get to, but culturally having us be able to operationalize that has been more of the hard work and the heavy lifting. Um, the biggest thing that we've done had been not even implement that piece of the technology, which we've done recently. But like I said, we organized, we put people, we centralized a call center function. I had 27 different call centers that we combined into one centralized function. So that was the big lift for us to bring these call centers operationally in and then set a foundation with the technology so that we could measure, we could see our successes, we could see our failures or challenges and really know where we have opportunities for improvement. So to me, that's been our biggest win. Mm -hmm. I love your comment, the comment you made before about um, learning from different industries because something that I heard from day one, we, we uh, start with Replica and my, my boy will tell me, which vertical are you going to focus on? Which vertical are you going to focus on? And said, you know, I'll tell you in a year. Let me let us, uh, work with some customers. And after a year, they asked me again, which vertical are you going to focus on? I said, you know, shockingly, the challenges that, that people have in healthcare are not very different than the challenges they have in other places. And say, tell me, tell me more. So, you know, appointment scheduling. Something that healthcare does, uh, scheduling, rescheduling, you mentioned before, healthcare does a lot, but we also do it for a telco company to schedule technician visit, uh, visit at home. We also do it for roadside assistance, uh, assistant companies to schedule car services um, uh, when they're at home, and we do it for healthcare, and, and there's many other industries where appointment scheduling is needed, and you start looking at these use cases and some of the learning from one to the other, and they're very applicable. Um, outbound calls, for example, we uh, we heard from one of our um, uh, roadside system uh, uh, AAAs we work with that their call center would be flooded with calls when there is a wintry day and tow trucks are delayed. So people start calling and say, where's my tow truck? Where's my tow truck? Where's my tow truck? So we implemented uh, interactive calls that call them and say, hey, your tow truck is delayed. It's going to be there in 20 minutes. Are you still safe? Yes, no. If no, we can escalate to an agent. Um, you know, are, do you are you still in the same place? Because uh, some people get a you know get somebody help them kind of quick boost get them to a gas station. Maybe they don't need a service anymore. So this little change actually reduced the inbound by 30, 40 percent. So you can serve 
uh, more customers that actually are stuck in the middle of the road, and all of it is applicable for healthcare. Um, you know, appointment reminders uh, can be can be a really great tool if it's interactive and if you can on the fly, just like as you said, change uh, your appointment so you don't have a doctor, which is a really expensive resource, just like a tow truck. I know it's all the same um, for AAA. It goes into a, a, a site and finds no car there because somebody else helped them or a doctor waiting for a patient. The patient is not there. The, the resource is, waste, is wasted. So I think almost in any situation, there is this kind of cross, um, uh, you know, cross uh, industry learnings that one one can leverage. And it's kind of lead me to to, um, uh, ask you, how do you choose what to focus on? There's so many opportunities to improve customer service. How do you prioritize what to work on and, and, um, and, you know, which technologies to adopt from this massive set of opportunities? Yeah, it's a, it's another great question, um, and I, and I love the analogy of the tow truck because you're you're so right. Um, you know, we we borrow so many ideas from other industries, and I'll digress for a moment, and uh, and I'll come back to talk about how we can actually prioritize and and move to uh, figuring out what we invest in, what we want to try. And the short of that is, we got to try lots of things and take some bets. But I'll come back to it um, because I think it's a really insightful and important point that you made. And that is, you know, years ago in the clinical setting, we borrowed an idea from the flight, from the flying, from the airline industry and what we call crew resource management. It's checking the pilots, checking off every little thing that they need to do before they take that plane off the ground. Similarly, we've applied that clinically in the operating room before we do a surgery. And there's been huge learning and huge opportunities for safety and quality and impact to clinical care that we learn from that. And I've taken that same kind of methodology or learning in the clinical world and been trying to apply it from a learning from other industries and applying it to customer service and making this experience for our patients in very first interaction all the way through an appointment and post-appointment to be a little bit easier. And I always love borrowing ideas from the airline industry or even tangentially to the airline industry. Things like many of us who have traveled a lot have gotten very used to, again, in the last number of years, like Clear and TSA PreCheck and all of those things, we can make our fast pass. If you've been to Disney, everyone in Florida knows what fast pass is. So if we can push the patient, the consumer through a process that's a little bit easier and make that friction less and automate some of these features and even do check-in, for example, of a patient before they get to a facility or the physician office and they can fill all those forms out electronically, which is where we're at today, we can make this experience just a little bit easier to navigate. So I love I love your point, which I was really trying to piggyback on. Um, the, the point around prioritization and figuring out how you how do you how do you get your way through all the mess of of stuff that exists in the world to figure out what you're going to do first you got to start and I think you have to start with a problem what are what's the problem you're trying to solve and um, there's a great problem right now in healthcare around nursing shortages around um, not having enough staff at our hospitals. So if I take that problem and I couple it with probably 10 other problems that we're all trying to address, but that's one of the, I would venture to say in healthcare, that's probably one of the top three, if not the number one problem problem that we're all trying to address. 
We talked about access earlier. That's another big one. But nursing shortages and physician and clinical shortages is a real one. So what can I do to influence that? And I look at those opportunities of where can I automate function, maybe some more administrative functions, maybe some things where I can, you know, bad analogy, but kill two birds with one stone, you know, be more efficient. So we're investing in technology, workflow, process that really is focused on efficiency opportunities. We're focused on AI functionality that can automate some of the clinical workflows. We were on a call, a number of us this morning with a terrific, very innovative vendor in this space that at face value looks like it's AI solving the nursing shortage issue, but it's solving lots of use case issues because it's leveraging and building upon the algorithms over time. So not only can you deal with nursing shortages, you can deal with um, patients that are potentially fall uh, risks. And fall risks are very expensive, obviously clinically and quality driven issues. Hand washing compliance, the number one way to cut down on infections in a hospital is making sure that you're washing your hands. And most of us do that through visual observation, but we can create a lot of ways in which we can automate that. So, you know, the the short of this is that you got to take bets, you got to take risks, you got to figure out what you're trying to solve and you attack it, I think, that way. Because if you go and you listen to every vendor in the market and they all have a niche particular need, and, and this is kind of another important point in prioritization, niche needs are good if they're not too expensive and you can get them done quickly. But I look for platforms. I look for package enterprise solutions. Our electronic health record is not just about clinical documentation. It's about billing and it's about customer service and it's about self-service and it's about delivering information, education. It's a very robust electronic health record. I happen to believe the best in the industry. Um, But I look at platforms like what we're doing in the call center space, very similar. I don't want to solve one need. I want to solve multiple needs with these platforms. Yeah, you, you remind me of, of uh, this kind of will lead me to another question. One of the use cases we are, are performing today, you, you mentioned uh, nurse shortage. Um, we One of our customers is dealing with uh, um, worker injuries and nurses used to do the full intake uh, of a patient from what site it happened, who's a supervisor, what's your name, um, uh, dates, time, six, seven minutes of intake before they go to the clinical part. And nurses are expensive. We don't have enough of them in this country. And um, uh, the, uh, the customer reached out to us and said, can you automate all the intake, intake until the medical part and then pass it to a, uh, to a nurse? And we're doing it now at scale. But it made me wonder, um, what what is your thought about the patient experience in this case? Do the patient, in your opinion, uh, you know, healthcare is so personal, would, would do you think that they will suffer from the fact that uh, they speak with a machine until they get to speak with a nurse, or they will look at it as something positive? Yeah, I think I actually think quite the contrary, and, and they'll look at it very positively because now some of those more remedial tasks that we're going to remove from the nurse that really has to deliver patient care and be at the bedside or be at the you know in front of the patient when they truly need it. You know, having a nurse. Um, come in to document something and having your back to that patient because you 
constantly in the electronic record document, that's a terrible experience. If I can remove that and automate some of that documentation and have the nurse be focused on the patient, that customer service ranking, I know rating will go up. I also know the level of quality and service is going to go up. Um, so I actually think um, creating some automation where it makes sense is a great uh, customer service need. It's going to create much more satisfaction, not just with the providers, but with the patients. Yeah, it's it's so maybe get into the role of AI in, in healthcare because you mentioned how years ago the doctor was the only provider of, of care. Yes, there were nurses in, in hospitals, but when you walk in the, into a doctor office, you walk into the doctor. Uh, now we walk in, there's a receptionist, uh, the receptionist does some level of intake, you move to a nurse, and nurse does does another level of intake, and finally a doctor kind of swoops in, read everything, spend a few minutes, provide care, and then the nurse comes again, and and you know, then you check out, you kind of go back in hierarchy. Uh and, and we, so over time we, we we created a much more specialized role, a much more focused role for the doctor, a much more focused uh, role for the nurse. Uh, how would AI fit in this uh, mix of the future? Where do you see AI in this flow of, of intake, um, uh, nurse, doctor? So I, another great question. And, and I think AI is really evolving in healthcare. Um, and it's one of those things that I think sometimes, um, maybe even a year or two ago, or even maybe today, some people would say, I'm not sure it's going to catch fire. You know, I don't know if it's going to stick. I think it is. I think I think we've already seen the application and there are huge gains that we're seeing uh, through the advent of AI. Um, the best example is what I really just talked about a moment ago. And I, and I alluded to this from a nursing standpoint of documentation, but I'll go to the clinical physician workflow of documentation as well. So, so much time and energy and what I'll call inefficiency is happening when a doctor has to document the patient visit. Oftentimes, a doctor will have to end their day and spend another two hours closing out their charts or even wait till the next day, which is also a terrible experience, not only for the provider, but at the end of the day, it can impact quality and safety because you forget things. And so if we can create ways in which we automate some of that, so more real-time documentation is taken off of the hands and, and you know, the really the hands of the provider so that we can get the computer to be listening to us. And I think that's so cool from an ambient capability, ambient listening, whether it be, you know, what we're all used to with Ava. And sometimes we wonder why and how they know, or Apple, how they know so much about us. Um, but nonetheless, it's such a useful use case in the physician practice world to relieve them of that inefficiency and AI is taking over a level of documentation and doing it in a really very sophisticated and high level of quality capability. So if I can automate that, relieve the pressure of the doctor in terms of documentation, save them time in their day, have that true interaction and customer service facing reality with a patient, it's a win-win across the board, not to mention the revenue side of this. Because if I do all of that, I can create more volume because things are getting done in a much quicker fashion. Let me give you one more example, which I think is truly um, a game changer from an AI standpoint and very clinically focused. Um, one of my dear friends and um, owners of a very focused AI solution in the radiology imaging space is actually 
taking a lot of the burden off of the radiologist by looking at diagnosis and looking at imaging information to be more predictive and more accurate in terms of information and quicker. So the same thing goes in imaging. If I can get throughput happening and diagnose issues quicker, I'm going to get in front of disease. And then the second thing to that from an imaging standpoint is a lot of things happen from a secondary diagnosis. You get an image of your abdomen for whatever reason, maybe enlarged spleen like my my son just had when he went to the doctor and they want to get an image of the abdomen. God forbid that anything in that image also might show some sort of abdominal aneurysm that is not of a acute status today, but needs to be watched. We can get out in front of that disease, in front of that particular issue in a much more proactive way. And it's revenue generating because you didn't know about it before. We can make sure there's follow-up on it. But more importantly, it's going to save life. And I think those are really great things from an AI standpoint. And I mean, I said one more, but there's so many more on the revenue cycle side and business side that's impacting the ability to automate functions in a highly um, efficient manner. Great. Uh, it was super interesting. And now we're moving to our last segment of the show, which is speed dial, in which I'm going to ask you questions. And the only rule is you have to answer them in one sentence. Uh-oh, so, that's not easy. That's not easy for me. That's what we're going to make it hard. So <laughs> my first question is, if, if you, how would you like your consumers uh, to describe you, um, describe your institution in maybe two, three adjectives, which were, which were the one you'd be glad to hear from them? Oh, gosh. Um, Efficient, easy, and high quality. Where do you think the efficiencies of AI uh, will end up funding to? Will it reduce the cost of customers' customer care or will it just increase revenue for insurance companies and, and medical institutions? Can I say both? Yeah. It's a, it's, a, it's a short one sometimes uh, answer. Uh, which company you really respect when it comes to customer service? Oh, I think, um, you know, Amazon and Apple and TalkDesk. Oh, good good to know that. I have I've some, some influence on the third. Um, you know, as, as AI comes to play, uh, what do you think of the customer service agent of the future? Uh, how would they be different from the ones we have today and, and which personality traits they, they uh, will have to develop? So I think, I, I think that's terrific. Um, you know, I think the customer service of the future for healthcare is going to be that we know there's more data in healthcare than probably most industries. It's just been untapped and unused in an effective manner. So my hope is that that information becomes more usable and our customer service then becomes more knowledgeable about a patient interaction even before the patient is on the other side of the phone, but maybe maybe they're on the other side of the phone or other side of the text, but they're not interacting uh, through a verbal way quite yet. We, we know more about that patient before they even ask a question. Mm-hmm. What has been the high point of your career? Oh, I think I think the last five years of seeing how much innovation and how much innovation is influencing healthcare and the shift of health to what I'll call wellness. Um, I don't want to be a healthcare system. I want to be a health and wellness and a proactive model for delivery of healthcare. 
Um, that's been the height of my career thus far. Um, like I said earlier, I've been a little bit schizophrenic in terms of learning uh, consulting and selling and delivering and being in, in a provider-based world. Um, and at the end of the day, I'm a relationship guy. Um, the height of my career has been this last five years, though. Yeah, I'm, I, I keep thinking about actually the last five years, including a, a global pandemic. Um, what, which moment do you remember the most from uh, from the pandemic that in, in, in your professional setup? Yeah, I mean, I, we were fully immersed. Like you would think the chief digital officer, chief information officer wouldn't have been um, as critical as the nurses or the physicians or the people delivering bedside care during the pandemic. I tell you, we this is when we, my IT organization, my digital organization, be paid, became part of the care team. So that's been such a, a, a great learning and success factor that we are part of the care team and we feel like we're passionate and just as passionate about delivering care as our providers are uh, in that delivery mechanism. The, the biggest moment for me is very early in the pandemic, it was how do we create an efficient manner by which we test patients and then from there move ultimately to vaccinating patients. It was through our technology and through the ways that we know how to project manage and make things happen and think about change and really changing workflow that we influenced that whole whole pattern of delivery of testing and immunization and vaccination. Um, it was the IT and digital team who not only influenced it, but delivered it. I have a lot of nurses, even physicians working for me. Um, and it was they who played a significant role in helping us define what that looks like. And to me, that was the most rewarding. Yes, we were in the throes of a really difficult, hard, scary time. And now, yes, we've all gotten used to living in that world. But even in the early stages, we were impacting that like uh, a lot of our other caregivers were. Mm -hmm. Where were you in the spectrum? AI will destroy the world or will do amazing things for the world? I happen to believe AI will do amazing things. I've already said that. Um, I, I love that AI is actually diagnosing and getting out in front of disease. It's moving the needle for healthcare in a way that I think will prevent illness, prevent disease from um, you know exploding. Um, I think it has so much application. I think we're just we're going to untap so much more over the years uh, that we can't even think about today. But um, it is uh, amazing what we've already done. Yeah, I'm, one thing I'm really excited about when it comes to AI, I'm going, I'm, I'm going out of the speed dial for one second, and I have one last question for you, is the ability to create a quick diagnosis using AI and provide access to people that don't live five minutes away from your hospital. Maybe they're in Africa, maybe in maybe they're in, in, in a third world country, and just the ability to say, I'm worried about the thing, let me describe my diagnosis and have an interaction and even knowing that, hey, this feels high risk, this feels low risk, is going to provide access we don't we don't have before. We keep forgetting that really only maybe a third of the world population have good access to healthcare, and uh, and the other two thirds have no access at all. So everything will be better than what what they have today. And, and we also have to remember that there that not all providers, not all specialists, some are, some of these providers and specialists are so specialized that there aren't providers like that in every community. So if I have a particular issue and I'm a provider physician and I'm in internal medicine, but I want to have a conversation with an inter, uh, a very specialized physician, and I might be in rural, I don't know, Nebraska um, or Oklahoma, 
but I know that there's a specialist in New York or Chicago. I can make that happen now in a matter of seconds or maybe minutes sometimes. Yes, sometimes you got to schedule it. But before, that was that was like, I, I, I don't know what's wrong with you. And uh, you got to go take a plane trip somewhere. Last question. Who do you respect in, uh, uh, in customer care, innovation, et cetera, and you would love to see in the podcast? Oh, my God. There are so many people. I mean, I respect so many people in, in, uh, in health care. Um, across my industry, I think there are some really great um, leaders, thought leaders in consulting, venture capital, private equity um, that are really insightful about where the market's going. I'd like to see um, my I'd like to see my friend Dave Reland and Scott Colasar, who are the two partners in Caduceus Capital uh, on your podcast. I think they have um, a really good handle and pulse on the industry and where things are going. Um, they would be great, great um, guests of yours. Actually, we haven't had any uh, uh, VCs here yet, so it might be super interesting. Uh, Jeff, thank you so much for joining. It was insightful. Healthcare is something that is near and dear to my heart, so I really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, thank you very much, and uh, until next time. Thank you, Gadi. It's been great.